This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Would you open your Bibles to the book of John chapter 11? That is the look of a 14-hour flight with dozens of babies all around me. You might remember that song, Surrounded, right? That was surrounded maybe by Jesus, but also by a lot of babies. And these were, um, I, I know, and it's true, I'll tell you this, in our church, if, you've, if your children cry, I'm totally, it's because it's the sound of life in a church. If you don't have If you don't hear babies crying in a church, you better be concerned. That means there's no babies. That means that there's no future in your church, okay? I want you to hear me say that, because that being said, on a plane, (laughs) that's not the sound of life. (laughs) Dozens of them. It was like, we literally, like it was your pterodactyl flies free program on Qatar Airlines. Like, little little screeching reptile babies, like, like, piercing through the sound, you know, I was like, whoa. And I was thinking at the time, like, you know, I have some Benadryl. <sighs> just, cr- <laughs> just crush it up, you know? <laughs> and then I'm thinking, okay, I'm not, now, at some point I'm delirious and I'm spitballing here, but you know those little oxygen masks that come down? Couldn't we put ether, you know what I'm saying, like laughing gas in them? <sighs> not for the babies. That, that would, I'm not a savage. I'm talking about for me. Like, could I have, do you know what I mean? Again, just spitballing, but if you work for an airline, just you submit that idea, I think that uh, implement that, you would literally, I'd, I'd pay for that. Here's the thing. Uh, every one of these babies had the same question, which is, why? <laughs> why am I being strapped into this thing? Why for 14, and nowhere else in the world is it legal to tie me to a chair for 14 hours without being like charges pressed again, like nowhere. Why is it, now that's not what it sounded like. What it sounded like was, yeah! But that's really the question. It was like, why? Why is my mom doing this to me? Why is my dad just sitting there? Why is he not defending me? And they're 18 months old. So how do you understand the answer to the question, why? This week in our city specifically, but our nation corporately, a lot of people are asking the same question, why? For some of us, it's coming out as crying and and, and, anger. Some of us, we're just not, I don't want to think about it at all. But we're asking the same kind of a question. Like, why is this? There's no logical reason. Why is this happening? And, And I want to start by just saying this, that I'm just a I'm just a guy. I'm, I'm, I'm just a human. On my smartest day, I'm not that smart. And is it possible that in my little pea brain, is it possible that my little pea brain compared to the mind of God is even a bigger, wider gap than it is between an 18-month-old and a 40, 35, whatever-year-old parent? Is it possible that if I am who I am and God is who he is, is it possible that he might know some things that I don't know? Plausible. 
The Bible tells us it's that's true. Isaiah 55 says that your thoughts are not my thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, speaking to us. Because as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my God, my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. In other words, he, of everything that I could think of, and I've thought of a lot of things, of everything I can think of, God's saying, but there are some thoughts that I have that you have that are higher than your thoughts. And part of what we want to drive toward today by the time our time is complete today is that maybe if we don't even know the answer of why, then we know the guy who knows why and can, if I, in the same way that these little children, maybe they didn't know why, but they knew their mom. Can we trust maybe that I don't know why, but at least I know the guy who does know why. That's where I want to go with this today, because in John chapter 11, Mary and Martha were asking the same question. You know that there are some statements that are questions disguised as a statement, right? And then there are some questions that are, you know, that are basically statements disguised as questions. Sometimes it's some, oh, I'm just asking questions. No, you're actually making a statement, Right? And sometimes you're making a statement, but you really, there's a question behind it. And so that question is happening right here in John chapter 11 when, verse 21, if, just a quick catch up if you didn't read last week or were not here last week, Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, was dead. They had sent for Jesus, and in those first few verses of chapter 11, Jesus' response was to wait two more days. They were wondering, why? And they said, Lord, verse 21, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That is, why did this happen? If you were here, he wouldn't have died, but you weren't here, why? And then her sister Mary, down in verse 31, 32, she said when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, and then she said, Lord, if you had been here, my, my brother wouldn't have died. Why did you not? The minute you heard about this, why didn't you come? It's the same question for 2,000 years. And then there were these cynical Jewish leaders who had another question, which is, Verse 37, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Why didn't, if you healed other people, why didn't you heal this one? I, I've asked that question many times in my life. My mama has been in heaven since 2008. And I remember thinking, God, I know you can heal, but why not, why not my mom? And if, if you haven't had those questions yet in your faith, they're coming. If you're honest with God, they're going to come. And I want you to know that, A, Jesus can handle your questions. And we're going to talk about it in this little grid that they just laid out for us here as we go into this. But first, I want, to, I want to pray for us and for our time together. Heavenly Father, as we approach your word this morning, we want to approach it with humility. We want to approach it with expectation. This is not an academic exercise, Father. This is our chance to learn, to have the word go in us, through us, change us. This is a time for us this morning to look at your word and not adapt your word to my life, but adapt my life to your word. 
Would you make clear in me this morning those places that I need to adapt my life to your word? And Lord, we lift up our brothers and sisters in Jesus all over this community. Would you be with Pastor Allen at World Outreach Church this morning? Lord, I know that so much courage that has been displayed in that man and the ministry that you've called him to be. Would you bless World Outreach Church this morning? Father, would you be with our brothers and sisters at Southview Church with Mark Rampula this morning? Lord, there's a move of God happening in Spring Hill through Southview. Would you be with our friends Mike and Cindy Easley as Michael steps into a new season today, announcing to their church that he's stepping into a new season. Would you be with their church family as Dr. Easley moves into where God, where you're calling him and bolster them and strengthen them. And Father, would you be mostly this morning, especially this morning, with Pastor Scruggs and with the brothers and sisters at Covenant Presbyterian Church as they grapple with an unimaginable loss especially Pastor Chad as he's saying goodbye to his baby girl this week for an unspeakable act of evil that happened on them and their family. Bless that family. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. There's a grid that we're going to follow in the few minutes that we have this morning. It's the same grid that we see happening in this passage through this text. That when you encounter a moment where God didn't answer the prayer the way that you thought, what do I do with that? And we have three things that I see in this passage. You might see more. Let the Spirit speak to you. But in this passage, I see that Mary and Martha, they went to Jesus. They believed in Jesus, and they were honest with Jesus. When I say that they went to Jesus... Jesus was on his way to Bethany. Now, by the way, Jesus even coming to Bethany was a very, very dangerous thing. If you remember from John 10, Jerusalem, they they already tried to seize Jesus to kill him. So him going back to Jerusalem was literally like walking back into the belly of the beast. And Bethany is, I guess you'd call it a suburb. It's basically two miles from the temple. In fact, those of you that are going to Israel with us next year, where our hotel will be is literally overlooking the city. It's right where Bethany probably would have been from like Mount of Olives, Mount Scopus. And, you know, it's like literally we'll be looking down on the city. So this was a, a village where Jesus would have had a, a perfect view of Jerusalem By the way, a perfect view of where he was going to be crucified in just a few days from this experience. He is now back in there, which is why in verse 16 where Thomas says, I guess we'll all go, right? We'll all go and we'll die with him. Thomas gets such a bum rap in scripture. We call him doubting Thomas, right? But I don't don't think that's fair. Because first of all, when, when Thomas had questions, he went to Jesus with him. And Jesus did not shame him. When he said, can I see the scars? Can I just, just, let's just make sure. Jesus didn't say, Jesus didn't even call him doubting Thomas. Jesus said, okay, I'll show you. They're right here. Here's my scars. And here's Thomas saying, if we're going to go to Jerusalem, he knew that there was a good chance that they would all die. And instead of chickening out and being a coward, he said, no, let's go and we'll all die with him. There's a lot of courage to be taken from that. A lot of lessons we can learn from that. But when he gets there, Right? Jesus is just outside of the village. 
Martha has heard that Jesus is coming, that he's there. And what does Martha do? It says here in verse 20, when she heard Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. When you encounter a moment like this where I'm asking some questions, where I'm, my faith has been a little shaken here, the very first thing, the very best thing, maybe the only thing that we can and should do is go to Jesus. Our temptation is to go to Netflix and binge. And by, I don't know. How is that working out for you? In the words of, right, the great poet, Dr. Phil. Like, how is that working out for you? I didn't on this flight, but I remember a flight a while back, I was like, okay, I'm, you know, I try to, honestly, I try to use those, when people say, when do you have time to read all of this stuff? Let me tell you when I have time to read. Sitting in a play, like a chair in the sky for, you know, hundreds of hours. Um, I mean, it's like 70 hours of travel just to get to Nepal and back. Like, I had a lot of time to read. But at one point, I was like, you know, I'm going to binge. I don't, I, honestly, I can't even, I'm not trying to be uh, humble. I just can't remember what it was, which is how embarrassing this is. I binged an entire season of something. My, I don't know what it was now that I think about it. But I remember what I felt when I landed, which was gross. Do you know what I mean? Like, I didn't feel better about my life or myself. I just felt like, well, that didn't do anything for me. Uh, I, you know, it's not that I'm, I'm shaming you if you watch Netflix or whatever. I'm just saying I just, it doesn't do you any good. And, and the same goes for those that if you go to the liquor cabinet to try to, so that's to try to ignore your pain, and then there's a the liquor cabinet to try to numb your pain. And all that does is kick the can down the road, because when you're sober again, the pain was still there. Maybe this time, go to Jesus with your pain. Do what Martha did, which is go to Jesus. Go to his presence, spend time in the word, spend time. go to Jesus. People are wondering now, even in our current world, like where's all this anxiety? Where's all this fear? Where's this depression? Where's it coming from? And if you were to look on, at our culture on a map and see how the amount of inter entertainment, I use that word extraordinarily loosely, that we're consuming, that we're taking in all this content and then wondering, why are we this way again? Why am I feeling? And again, not a shame thing. It's like, it's just, if, you know, like when you eat a certain way for a certain amount of time, you know how you feel. How much more than when we're eating things that are not healthy in our spirits? No wonder we don't feel so great. Go to Jesus. I don't know if you noticed this, but the last part of that verse, but Mary... She stayed at home. Mary had the same exact experience that Martha had. Mary was feeling the exact same kinds of feelings that Martha was feeling. And what did Mary do with her pain? She isolated herself in her pain. She didn't go to Jesus with her pain. Now, spoiler, Mary gets it. Because <laughs> John chapter 12, we're going to see that Mary... <laughs> In just the next chapter, she's at the feet of Jesus, pouring oil on his feet, and Martha's in the kitchen. So this is a journey for all of us in our lives, a reminder just to keep going back to Jesus. So here's Mary staying home in her pain, staying home in her grief, instead of going to Jesus with it. 
But second thing is when I say believe in Jesus, that's a phrase that we've all heard before. If you've been around the church, and some of you, if you're newer to church, you haven't, but if you've been around Jesus for any length of time, we know believing in Jesus, right? That's the the road to salvation for us, believing in him. And Martha, when she encounters Jesus, she runs out and she asks that question. Again, it's a statement, but that's a question. Why? If you had been here my brother would not have died. But I know now that even God will give you whatever you ask. Now in verses 23, 24, and 25, Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And she says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection. She was a good Jewish follower of of, uh, Yahweh. Like she she believed in God and even the Pharisees, right? They taught in the resurrection of the dead on the last day. So she believed about God something, but he's saying, that's great. Doctrine, incredibly important, but more than believing about me, now what do you, would you believe in me? Would you trust that the one that you're talking to, Messiah, Can you put your trust in me? And that's a whole different ballgame. I believe a lot of stuff about God. And over the years, I am constantly learning and constantly saying, okay, I'm just going to the word. I want to learn more about. I want to know about Jesus. But there's a moment where I've got to then say, am I going to put my trust in this Jesus that I know so much about because Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection, verse 25, and the life. She's, this is what I believe about you, that we're all going to resurrect on the last day. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, I believe that you are Messiah. But her statement there, Verse 22, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. She believed good things and true things about Jesus. And what she's saying there is, I believe in Jesus. I believe that even now, that if not, he didn't, notice what she did not say. I believe you will give me whatever I ask. I believe he will give you whatever you ask. God always gives his best to those who leave the choice up to him. One of the most faith-filled prayers that you could pray, I believe, is Jesus would, I don't know what I, but I, would you give me whatever I would ask for if I knew everything you know? Every, would you give me what I would ask for if I knew everything that you know? My prayers right now are based on what I know. And that's just another way of saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in my prayer life, I mean, I do ask because he does, we got to come to him like a child. And what does a child do? We just ask. But trust is then saying, whatever your answer is, I trust that you have my best interests in mind with whatever you give me. 
Brothers and sisters, that's called faith. Believing in him. And it's why the cross is so very important. Because it is the one thing we have. Paul says that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But right to, to us who are being saved, it's, it's our only hope. And here's why. It's the one way we know that he is good. He proved it. In Asia, Hinduism, there are millions and millions and millions of gods. And not one of them gave their life for their people. Not one. How do you know if you're following Shiva that she is a good God? If anything, you know she's not good because you're earning your way in by going to the temple of Shiva. You know that the only way, and when I say in, what I'm talking about is reincarnation. One of those things you see in the video is actually the, this temple of Shiva, and it's right on this river. And on this river, there are these little cement blocks where there are these funeral pyres. And the only way that you are guaranteed to not come back as a bug, 100%, this is, it's kind of funny to us, but in their world, that is 100%, that's what they, I'm going to come back as a bug or some very low level. The only way I'm guaranteed to not have that happen is if I visit this temple of Shiva once in my life, and if I am then burned and buried, they literally burn the bodies and push the ashes into the river, and that is the only way you're guaranteed to come back. And by the way, your guarantee is at least a monkey or at least a cow. I mean, monkeys are fun. I mean, you know what I mean? If you're, like, if you're in a battle and you've got monkeys, you've got to at least seed the high ground of them. You know what I mean? They get onto the ceiling and on the roof. But there, there's some benefits to being a monkey, but that's about it. But, but if you get, and by the way, it costs like $500 to get your funeral here, which means the vast majority of the people in that nation cannot afford, and they're not guaranteed a good second life. It's one of the reasons they're always so shocked when we help the kids that are special needs in those countries. Because they think that if you're special needs, it's because you did something in a previous life to deserve this. So why would we want to help you and interrupt the work of God in your life or one of the gods? Shiva is not a good God. Allah is not good. Muhammad said, Don't, I'm not giving my life for you. You're going to give your life for me in jihad. Only one God of all the pantheon of religions throughout history is true because only one of them came to us to die and then was resurrected on the third day. And that's Jesus. And that's why Easter is so important to us. Because only one, and again, we're putting our trust in a God. I hope he's good. He proved he was good. He didn't have, it says that he did it willingly. We just read that in chapter 10, right? I give my own, I lay my life down. I'm the guy doing it. You don't have any power to do this to me. I'm doing it willingly for you. Believing in Jesus starts with us knowing the gospel and knowing that Jesus, not like Buddha, by the way, one of the airlines we fly on is called Buddha Air. I kid you not. I didn't rub the belly of the plane, but I thought about it. <laughs> I mean, it's, um, I don't know if you know much about Nepal and the airports there, but the most dangerous airports in the world are in Nepal. Literally, just if you remember, just last month, Yeti Airlines, uh, true enough, Yeti Airlines, 
I thought, is it, do I want a mythical creature or a mythical God airline? So I went with mythical God. Um, you're taking your lives into the hands of God every time you get on one of these planes because they're held together with duct tape and hope. You know, it's like, probably going to land this thing. Buddha, <laughs> anyway, I flew on Buddha Airlines. Uh, Buddha's not a good God either. Yeah, you can go visit his grave. His last words, strive, work hard. You might be able to reach this higher level of consciousness strive, which when you read, which one of the reasons I'm such, on such a tear with Richard Rohr, because all Richard Rohr is teaching right now is Buddhism dressed like Jesus. Christ consciousness. It's just literally Buddhism with Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And the way that we know that is that he resurrected. He defeated death. He didn't cheat death. He defeated death. I've had some close calls in my life. I know Tim Bassanio has had probably more than I have. I got a phone call while I was in Haiti a few years ago. We were having a little small group at Tim and Edie's house, and Tim had lit a bonfire in the backyard. Got a little too much diesel fuel on it. Oh, sorry, just straight up gasoline. Unfortunately disappeared into the fireball that exploded outside his backyard. Singed his eyebrows. He looked amazing. <sighs> Cheated death on that day. <laughs> That's cheating death. Defeating death is being dead and then you're not dead. And that's what Jesus did. The first of many. Now, by the way, there were three people in the New Testament that were resurrected from the dead, but they were resurrected back to their bodies. True resurrection is that you are dead and you're not dead. And there's this glorified body that's waiting for all of us. So when you're putting your trust in Jesus, first of all, when something, again, this week, I, this happened in our city, but you've all experienced tragedy in your own life, go to Jesus. And when you're there in front of Jesus, believe in Jesus. And one of the reasons I say it's important that we know what we believe and why we believe is that many people that I know, and I, I know that many of you know them as well, that have deconstructed their faith, if you have any kind of a conversation with them and you talk long enough, you're going to find that for the most part, the Jesus that they're re like rejecting is not the Jesus that is actually Jesus. I spent a lot of time in my life asking Jesus to keep promises he never made. In this life, you will have trouble. I never had a three-by-five card on my mirror saying, in this life, you will have persecution, you will have trouble. Now, I wanted the good ones, right? One of the great tricks of Bible study is go through and read the stuff you didn't underline. You're going to have trouble. And boy, I'm surprised, but you promise me. They hated me, they're going to hate you. Well, that's what's happening in our country right now. Congratulations. So it was one of the promises. Believing in Jesus, right? Not in myself, not faith in faith, but faith in Jesus. And then lastly, the thing that we can do, the thing that we get to do, the thing I believe we've got to do is be honest with Jesus. See, there were some mamas this week who have empty bedrooms in their homes. There are grandmas that won't be home for Thanksgiving this year. And everything I'm sharing this morning feels like cold comfort when you're saying goodbye to a family member, 
when you're saying goodbye to someone that you love. See, spoiler again, Lazarus is going to resurrect, but one day he will die again. This is the exception and not the rule, right? Every one of us at some point. In fact, if you live long enough, you will be the last person alive of everyone that you know and love. You will be the last, and the older you get, you know that the more people you're saying goodbye to because death is real. It is an enemy. That's why Jesus is defeating it. And it's why death, Paul says, you know, death, where is your sting? One of the things Dr. Michael Easley, one of the things he talks about is a, a sting is like when you've been, have you ever been stung by a wasp before? Very pleasant experience, right? What does it do? It stops you in your tracks. <laughs> I, and for that moment, that's all I can think about. And at some point, the sting wears off and I, I go about my life, but I'll never forget the sting. I never, but death, where is your sting? Is that there is a sting of death. But for those of us who are in Christ, the sting is lessened, but it doesn't mean there's not a sting. It hurts. Mary is now with Jesus, and so is Martha. And Mary, in verse 32, says she fell at his feet. So, by the way, Mary goes to Jesus, right? She's home, but when she hears that Jesus has called for her, she runs to him. And this morning, I want you to know that Jesus is calling for you. If you're in grief, if you're in suffering, if you're, come to me. And I pray that you'll do what Mary did, which is drop everything and run to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. And now she's being honest with Jesus, saying, if you had been here, he wouldn't be dead. She's asking him a very honest question. And I say honest with Jesus because I want you to see that what the Jews were asking in this specific instance, could he who opened the eyes of the blind man, could he have kept this man from dying? That is not an honest question. Again, that is a statement disguised as a question. You healed him, why couldn't you? Because the answer is yes. Could the guy who healed the blind man, could the guy who healed the lame man, could he heal this man? That's actually not an honest question at all. The answer is yes, he could have. But they weren't asking it from an honest way, they are making it from an accusation. In fact, it's gonna say here in a moment that once Jesus resurrects him, from that moment on, they sought in all the ways that they could kill him. This was not an honest question. So when you go to Jesus, go with your honest questions. Don't waste his time with cynicism and bitterness. Go with your honest, why did you not? And then verse 35, for all you guys that did Bible drills growing up, Josh, did you guys do Bible drills? Or sword drills, I'm sorry, is that what they were called? Sword drills? You had to memorize scripture, this is the best one right here. Jesus wept. The easiest one you get, Jesus wept. It's a great scripture to memorize because I have two words. Shortest verse in the Bible. And the question is, why did Jesus weep? Different people think different things. The truth is we don't know because it doesn't say why. So there's some, you have to go to conjecture and some conjecture says he wept because he was sad. They're, they're sad. Their brother died. They're, he's weeping. He enters our sorrow with us. I, I like that. It could be. There are others who say, no, because he's about to resurrect him anyway. So why would he waste time crying when he could just get right to the party time? 
So maybe he's weeping because of the, the pain of sin and, and suffering in this world and the anger. And, and one of the reasons, in fact, Dr. Constable in Texas, by, I think it's Plano Bible Church, his commentary says that he thinks that Jesus wept because it, all, it doesn't say that he was just sad. It's, it, when he was troubled and moved, moved is angry. Every other time it's translated, it's, it's translated as he was angry. So it does, he wasn't just sad, he was angry. And so Constable says, maybe it's because he's angry at the, st- like the state of our world and the fallen nature and how unfair this whole thing is to everybody and made him angry and it made him sad. Maybe that's possible as well. And maybe it's both of those things and I'm gonna give you a third one to think about. This is not a thus saith the Lord. This is a thus saith the Darren. I'm going to conject along with the others. Where was Lazarus at this exact moment? His body was in a tomb, but he was more alive than he'd ever been. He was in a place called paradise. He was in a place where in just a few days, Jesus after his resurrection, but while he was crucified, Ephesians says, he that ascended also descended and he preached right to the, to the captives and, and set them free. Those who were in Abraham's bosom was another word for that and brought them to the father into eternity. Jesus was about to go do that and his, the, his friend who he loved, Lazarus, would have been with him. He was more alive than he'd ever been. He was in a place that was more glorious than he could have ever imagined. And Jesus is about to screw the whole thing up for him. Jesus uniquely knew more than anybody else. He knew exactly what Lazarus was about to experience. Lazarus paid a greater price for God's glory on that day than any of the others combined. Jesus brought him back to this fallen world for another round. Maybe Jesus was weeping not for Mary and Martha, but for Lazarus. Maybe as sad as we are that our brothers, some of our brothers and sisters who are not with us today, and let me be crystal clear, the brothers and sisters at Covenant Presbyterian Church were martyrs. You think there's a reason why they haven't released this manifesto? You think there's a reason why they don't want us to know that they were targeted because they were followers of Jesus and this sick and deranged and demonic idea of gender ideology? Hebrews 11 tells us that they have, those who have been martyred for the faith, have a greater resurrection. I don't know what that means. I just know if the Bible says it's better, it's better. And as sad as it is for them here, know that on the other side, they're more alive than they've ever been. God will set it all right. He is just, he is pure. And when Jesus returns and opens up a can of whoop God, all of this will be taken care of. But in this moment, sad for us, Glorious for them. Doesn't mean, you know, I almost hate it when you hear it at a funeral. I know they're, you know, they're, I'm happy because they're, you know, it's okay to be sad. It really is. Sadness is a gift that God gave you to deal with life on life's terms. We're in this side of heaven. Imagine if we didn't have sadness. It is a gift for us. Jesus wept because he left, I, maybe because Lazarus is now leaving behind 
what all of us one day will get. And if we can view it through the eyes of Jesus, to believe in Jesus and being honest with Jesus, we can take our hardest questions, our deepest hurts, to go to Jesus, to believe in Jesus, be honest with him. He gives us the power to do that. This morning, if you were asking God to keep a promise he never made, you're not alone. Go to Jesus with it. If you're asking for a, I I don't understand why, go to Jesus with it. You see, as much as I wanted to whiteboard it out for those babies on the plane, get them all in one place, I'm going to whiteboard, I'm going to explain to you exactly why this is happening to you, that your parents aren't being mean, that they want you to be safe, and on the other side of this flight, grandma and grandpa are going to be there. You're going to see people you haven't seen in a long time. You're going to go have fun and, with your family. You're gonna, but you know why I couldn't do that? Because they're 18 months old. You can't logic yourself out of a problem you didn't logic yourself into. No, what those mamas and daddies did is what your father wants to do to you this morning. They, he couldn't, they, I couldn't explain it like the parents can't explain it. So what do they do? They just held their children and loved their children and let their children cry it out with them. If you're in a moment where you're, uh, the only words you can get out of your mouth are tears and, and anger and crying, Jesus doesn't love you any less. Your father loves you. Those parents didn't love their kids any less. Now, there are probably moments where they're like, hey, do you, could you still got that Benadryl? They loved them just as much when they were crying as when they were quiet. But I'll say this, you can choose how you're going to choose, how you're going to take this ride. Might I suggest this morning as we grow in our faith that trusting our heavenly father, trusting our good God is a much better way to enjoy this ride. Jesus is defeating death. The end of our life here is the beginning of our life there. It's literally, honestly, that your life began the moment you accepted Christ and you became a new creature. It's just literally, I'm just changing addresses at this point. We have to keep our eye on the big picture because if this world is all there is, then yes, we should be without hope. That's why the cross of Christ, right, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who believe it is life. It's our only hope. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. If you are not yet putting your trust in Jesus, please, I implore you, do that this morning. There's going to be people here again at the end to pray, and they'd be glad to pray with you. And for those of us that have put our trust in Jesus, let's readjust and get our trust back on him. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And through it all, trust in him who gave his life for you. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. I'm so thankful that I serve a God that is good. So thankful that you proved it with your resurrection. On this Palm Sunday, we get to be reminded of a journey that you began just right after this happened, of Passover. You began this journey right after this to ride into Jerusalem. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. And your resurrection a few days later. Proving that not only are you good because of the cross, but that you are all powerful because of your resurrection from the grave. Lord, let us put our trust in that, not in government, not in institutions, but in you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.